Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, October 9th. On today's show, we recap Friday's action at Indian Wells with a returning champion here on our Cracked Rackets podcast, Monday Match Analysis host, Gil Gross. Gil and I on today's show discuss a day that saw 2021 U.S. Open champion Emma Raducanu knocked off in straight sets. We discuss why you shouldn't read too much into one loss from the 18-year-old. We also discuss what allowed her opponent, Alexandra Sasnovich, to earn the victory. We run through the rest of the day's most notable results, including, of course, a win from young American Jensen Brooksby. And with that win in mind, we get into a conversation of what it means to be in the race for the most improved player of the year. We offer our short list of candidates for that conversation as well. We run through, again, all of the biggest storylines produced on Friday. Also, it is a fantastic conversation that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get to it, quick reminder, picks each and every day on our Great Shot podcast feed. We'll have those throughout the 2021 Indian Wells. Of course, Patreon Match of the Day segments where I offer a look at my favorite match on any day's order of play uh, for our Patreon subscribers. If you're interested in that, head on over to our website, crackrackets.com, to learn more. Of course, I would not be able to do these mini-break podcasts day in, day out without the support we get from all of you, without the support we get from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, course without the support we get from our friends over at Tennis Point. Sincerely, we are so grateful for their support. If you have any sort of tennis equipment needs, the least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Go to tennis-point, the symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. Use the promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, that's tennis dash point the symbol not the spelling tennis dash point.com the promo code is cr15 but with that in mind let's get to it another recapping episode uh, another joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion here at our crack racket shows now Normally, I give our guests fluffy intros. Today, I'm going to speak the truth. He's one of the last men in the United States who, when you text, you get the green message box. Of course, he is also more a Formula One fan, I would say, at this point than a tennis fan. You know, (laughs) if it's box time, it's box box. And, of course, I know him as my friend Gil Leach Gross. Gil, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Good. I don't even know where to start. I mean, <laughs> with that intro, I'm just, I'm just going to let it be. I take the high road, you know? <laughs> no! High road's overrated. Take, take the low road. Take a pot shot every now and again. I, I feel like that's a scene. So the reason I do that is the last match I watched last night was Milman Sock. And it was maybe the king of pettiness that I've seen thus far here at Indian Wells. The, like, <laughs> so... For those that don't know what happened, Millman at the end had some choice words for Sock because, look, Sock's a guy who will openly say exactly what is on his mind during the course of a match, and he will mock you. If he thinks you got away with some sort of joke of a shot, some little shank volley winner, he's going to make a little mock motion, and he was doing that once or twice to Millman yesterday, and Millman totally caught him and tried to stay cool throughout, but it got a little bit heated at the end. 
I thought it brought out the best tennis. I figured if I got heated with you at the start here today, it would bring out our best podcast. That that checks out. <laughs> John Millman, how do, God, I mean, pissing John Millman off is difficult. Not so, easy. Well done to Jack Sock. That's it. <laughs> Not easy. And again, I just want to guilt you into getting an iPhone. It's eventually going to happen. Like, you no, know it's it. Not. Nope. <laughs> I not. just I love my Samsung. My my mo, uh, what is it? Motorola, right? The the flip phone. You've got still the the little flip phone, the Razer. It's a Google Pixel, okay? <laughs> it's a high tech piece of machinery. Okay? They better and sponsor Monday Match Analysis. It should. <laughs> Technically Google is a sponsor because, you know, the YouTube money is yeah. Coming from Google, so really we are, you know, in business. All right. Well, then I can call you Sully too, as well. I like that. But no, as always, my friend, it is great to have you on the show. And you know, I should have said host of Monday Match Analysis, host of Three a Tennis Show, Tennis Channel contributor Gil Gross joining us today to talk about Indian Wells, talk about day two, recap all of the action. I got to imagine it's a bit weird for you now to not be calling it, to get to be a third-party observer. Is it nice to put that hat back on? To to watch a tennis match without commentating on it? Yeah, exactly. You get to just watch it neutrally. Well, I will – I mean, thank you, but, you know, it's uh, (laughs) – I would say it doesn't take much getting used to doing absolutely nothing while you watch a tennis match, but, you know. Well, I appreciate the sentiment. I saw a clip because you went on Brian Fenley's show. I may have butchered the pronunciation. And I saw you are someone who also watches a match twice back or you'll watch a clip twice in a row. And I'm just really happy I'm not the only one to do that because as I've turned 25, 26, uh, I now realize I have to watch it a third time to really have the match stick. And I'm like, oh, no, am I just getting old? Like, what's going on here? But it's nice to know someone spry like yourself is also watching those matches two times. You just have to for retainment. There's just so many different points, right? And it's like, if I'm going to get 30, 40 to stick, I got to watch it a couple times. Pretty much, yeah. It's a must if you really want to know a match well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are getting old, though, and <laughs> you your prime is on the back end, That's and true. I also want you to know that. Well, let me just say two. 2014 me was actually a f***ing monster. Like, in terms of just retention <laughs> of these matches, I could tell you the 2000... I mean, here's how you know I was a monster. Uh, that's always a good thing. Here's how... Let me tell you why I was a monster, Gil. <laughs> we'll get right into it, but... Okay. Um, it's because I can still tell you every shot of the Sacramento Challenger final between Query and Stefan Kozlov, which was a 2014 match. And that one I've got glued. And it's like, yeah, I watched those matches so many freaking times. 2014 was a great year. That was the year, you know, I mean, all right. I'm not going to get into it. Let's focus on I started to, you know, Kalamazoo, Ruben, he gets the title. He knocks out Altamirano. It's a, it a big year, big year. That's when I really started diving in. But, of course, that is not the focus of today's podcast. The focus is Indian Wells, and we want to recap day two, talk about the biggest storylines. Of course, there will be a tangent or two thrown into the mix as well. 
but of course, heading into Indian Wells, I never heard your thoughts on the draws, never heard your thoughts on the big storylines heading in. I do want to start there because, of course, to note on the men's side, no Federer, no Djokovic, no Nadal, no defending champions, period, in the draw. Whomever wins this Indian Wells title will be a first-time Indian Wells champ. Of course, you look on the women's side, you have to cheat a little bit to get to that number four. You had Kim Kleisters, who has since been knocked out. You've also got Vika, you've got Halep, you've got defending champ Bianca Andreescu. This is a Masters that epitomizes the generational shift we talk about so frequently when we have you on the show. What are the things you're watching for most closely? Let's just start there when you look at both of these draws. Well, always with Indian Wells, I kind of like the players who we would typically like on clay. Mm -hmm. And that's why my pick to win it on the women's side um, is Barbora Krejcikova. (laughs) And I, I like her to win. I actually thought Sabalenka, who she's not any anything of a clay court specialist by any means, but I actually like Sabalenka coming in. Well, we saw how that turned out, unfortunately. And uh, on the men's side, I think Tsitsipas will like these conditions more than anyone else. Medvedev is really the guy who I, I have a lot of interest in how he's going to play. What is the slowest hard court in the world going to do to his game? because we know he moves great on hardcore. We know he loves this surface and dominates this surface. But what about this one? You know, is, is it going to be a little bit different? And I, I'm excited for the match tonight with Mackie because I think it could be, I think it could be good. Mm-hmm. Now, sure. all of those are fair points. I think what I'm going to do at the end of this tournament for the first time is tweet out all of my drafts just all the things that didn't end up going because either someone lost or just whatever maybe all the takes I was stewing but wasn't ready to put out there and one of the tweets that I have in my drafts is how many times will the phrase be said you know normally on a hard court maybe not but on a slow hard court I like this player's game because that is one of the themes of this tournament undoubtedly and I think On the women's side, when you look big picture, the players who are going to have success, it's the players who can hit through this court no matter what. And in particular, you think of someone, you know, I I think you you had a good example there and someone like Sabalenka who would benefit from just getting to move on the hard courts, but also the the pace of the courts give her that extra second. I mean, you say that about anyone over the age of 30, right? Yeah, Vika Azarenka, how can you not like a slow hardcore for her who never lacks in power? Or, you know, I was wrong. I thought Rabakina, that was wrong. But a Petra Kvitova who looked great yesterday. That's a clay result though, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't Putin Seva beating Rybakina kind of a clay court-like result? Well, you've got to see this up close. I also think, could there be a better prep to playing Indian Wells than playing Nur Sultan, the slowest court (laughs) in all of tennis? And it's like, Putin Seva comes straight from Nur Sultan. She's like, I just did a week of track meets. Like, I am in Indian Wells shape. Uh, right now. But I agree with you. That is a clay court sort of result. And so, you know, even someone as you move down the rankings, I think Anaconia is dangerous. Like she has Tamara's Danzig here on Saturday on upset alert because you give her a little bit extra time. Her weapons translate regardless. Like it, it, it's always just a matter for her of can she hit the ball cleanly? Because if she does, you're in trouble. On the flip side, it's a fascinating dynamic for the men's draw, and I tweeted it out 
you know, about a week ago, but how many players are making their Indian Wells debut? And even the players who aren't just are so inexperienced at Indian Wells overall. I was looking back at a 2019 Indian Wells result. Who beat Daniil Medvedev at the 2019 Indian Wells? This is a, it's a great trivia question. Hmm. He's playing today. Um, uh, he is playing an American today. And uh, do I get a hint for, for who beat him? Uh, I'm trying to yeah that's what I'm trying to yeah no no he so that's what I'm trying to say Medvedev the guy who beat Medvedev is playing an American today he's seated at this event low seed low seed Herkoch Philip Krajinovic beats Medvedev I know that's what I'm like that the last time we saw Daniel Medvedev at Indian Wells he was still losing hard court matches to Philip Krajinovic but like Krajinovic is a guy Clay Corder, you love him on a slow hard court. And so it's a fascinating, you know, uh, wrinkle to throw into the mix. And a guy like Tommy Paul, the physicality he can bring, a Francis Tiafo, the physicality they can bring to hard court matches. I think that's the key word, physicality. And you look for Daniil Medvedev, he has that in spades. And he's brought that new first serve to these courts as well. Like, I think this is the tournament we see Daniil Medvedev serve in volleyer emerge like I think that's the wrinkle he throws in here right because that's the way he shortens points to what you're saying I agree how does he hit through these courts otherwise yeah and that's kind of what's so fun about him is a lot of people call him unpredictable Mm -hmm. in a way yes but also no because he he does that when he's losing and when he feels like he needs to do it he starts every match I'm playing safe I'm playing through the middle Okay, it's not working. I'm playing more aggressive. I'm hitting down the line more. I'm taking it earlier. Okay, it's not working. I'm going to the net. Like, he has this progression that he'll kind of run through, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. No, it's, and again, key three, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev. Zverev, I mean, he's, yeah. he's also right there in terms of, you could see him benefiting in these conditions as well. Uh, he... Well, one of the keys for Zverev is is the height of bounce. He really yes. doesn't like going down low and getting it. And uh, th- these courts bounce up nice and high for him. How does he not win six Indian – I mean, barring the ATP investigation, how does he not win six Indian Wells during his career? Like, I could not agree with you more. How could If you're drawing yeah. surfaces for Alex Zverev, you're like, this one. <laughs> I like this one for him. Yeah, it, you're, it's this in Madrid. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah. And so I just – it's fascinating because, again, Berrettini serve on this surface. What, what do you do? Like, I say this lovingly, Gil. That ball, it's over your head. It's, it's over my yeah. – yeah, it's oh, yeah. it's overall – like, it's just lights out. And by the way, in terms of a watchability standpoint, every tournament it should be mandated that someone over 6'6 plays someone over uh, under 5'10 in the first round because Cressy Schwartzman – it just like that match shouldn't be so hard to find. Like that's just a delightful contrast, right? Let's throw that into the into the draw formulator. That like that's got to be one of the what ifs. Absolutely. Look, I mean, everyone, everyone always wanted to see Shaq mm-hmm. and Allen Iverson play one on one. Ooh, ooh, right. That's true. Who wins? I've always my take has always been if you. If you check the ball, if you take it up top, right, mm-hmm. that's why AI is going to win. Because okay. when you you start at the three-point line in one-on-one, yeah, that's true. why AI is going to win. You're wrong because – I mean it's a, here's the thing. Against Steph Curry, I agree with you. Steph wins. 
AI is like a 29% three-point shooter for his career. Like According to Tennis Abstract's metrics, he is not very good uh, as a shooter <laughs> outside of 18 feet. And so Shaq's going to back his ass down every so single wrong. time. Oh. You can't. You can't. No, because AI will miss. Shaq will not miss. Shaq will not be able to get inside without getting the ball stolen. No. Or, you cannot protect the ball. I think we're underrating how freaking huge Shaquille is. Like, he is a massive ma- – I mean, so this is a common good. This is a tangent we had planned. Who is your celebrity hangout group? Shaq's in my group. Like, if I had a, a celebrity crew, an unequivocal ad is Shaq. An unequivocal- we planned this? <laughs> this was in the plan? I sent you in the text. You didn't see it? I, I didn't was, read it. It was under the Oreo text. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, No, it goes – I mean, quickly, Shaq, Larry David's got to be in there because, like, although the problem is yep. Larry David's kind of on, a, like, my corner. It's like there can only be one funny Jew in the crew, and, like, Larry wins. Like, I lose in this scenario, so I'm here now just as, like, table dressing. You know? Very selfish, but but yes. It minimizes my role critically. I feel like, I mean, Shaq is just a gravity. He's just a center of gravity to so many people, but you need a, stu- you know— like a, a Hemsworth or a Jeter in your crew, so you know you can explore that avenue as well. And then Obama, like, how can I not have? How can I just? <laughs> I want to see Obama, Shaq, and Larry David. Just what does that conversation sound like? There's no way it's not fun. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. that's well done by you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Do you want to throw in a quick three? You made your list for this. No, I didn't make my list. I didn't read the text. <laughs> I told you I didn't read the text. I know, I know. We got limited time. So, uh, what is that a good crew? Would you hang with that crew? It's a great crew. It's mm-hmm. a great crew. I mean, Jeter's the one I'm worried about because, like, again, what am I going to do there? It's like you can talk to Alex Gruskin or Derek. You know Jeter. what? Jeter's not in. Jeter's yeah, not in that out. for me. Jeter. Jeter would not say a word there. Let's be <laughs> honest. He'd just be like. I don't even know. Like, he'd figure out, like, everything he'd say would be cliche. He'd be like, Derek, say something. I Let's mean, go. No, no hate. We switch him out for Brady. A, go Michigan. B, Brady married. So he can be a, gra- you know, center of gravity, but he's got those commitments already. Meanwhile, your boy is free. And also Brady's got Michigan. A, Brady's got a personality. Yeah, exactly. Peyton wouldn't be bad either. And by the way, I, the more I've thought about it, your Peyton, Manning, Rafael Nadal comparison is so good. It it really is. It was excellent. Thank you. But <laughs> I believe – wait a second. Wasn't Peyton Novak? No. I thought Novak was Roger. Oh, it's because I did this with Weissman too, and he might have said Manning-Nadal. But okay. I really like Manning-Nadal. I, I think that was Why? a good one. No, no. Manning Work is Djokovic. Horses. No, 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 what? no. First yes, of all, Peyton Manning looks like he <laughs> – <laughs> Sorry, this is not planned. Uh, you're wrong because both Peyton Manning and Rafael Nadal look like all they do during their career is just figure out. I mean, Tom Brady does this too, but just Manning looks like a football player and just looks like, you know, the wear and tear and the neck and just everything about him and just the meticulousness with which he plays every play and, you know, every line call and every audible adjustment. That's Rafa. Like, that is Rafa, case in point. All of the little ticks and all of the little quirks and the specificity with which they do everything. To me, Peyton is technique. Peyton is is mindfulness. It's the smarts. It's the do everything correctly. Um, Interesting. It's like the technical guy. Peyton's the technical guy, right? And that's how I see Novak. I made Rafa Brady because I think what's so 
special about those two is I'm just going to win. I don't, <laughs> I would run through a brick wall. Like my competitive fire, both on and off the playing field, will propel me to the heights that I want to go. See, the good news of why we included Brady in our friend group is all of these traits sound like him, too. That's the problem, is he's kind of uniformly, it's like everything except for physically exceptional is Tom Brady. And it's all just right, like, all right, all no. right. That's enough. No, I'm no, saying no, from an I'm going to cut you off. Okay. This this... Back to Indian Wells. Back to well, Indian Wells. Yeah, if we're going to get into the Bra- you know, some Brady love fest, yes, then back to <laughs> Indian Wells. Absolutely. Go Giants. Um, no, with that in mind, all of that is to say it's a wide-open Indian Wells. That was 17 minutes of us setting up saying there's a lot to watch, and certainly one of the players who we were watching most closely entering this event, someone on the trajectories of the Bradys, of the Federers, of the greats of the world, particularly when you accomplish something like winning a Grand Slam as a teenager, as a qualifier, and not dropping a, a set on your way to doing so, is the success of Emma Raducanu of late. And all of us were wondering, how would she follow up that U.S. Open Championship performance here at Indian Wells. Of course, it was her first Indian Wells main draw, first time being seated at a WTA-level event. It was also a tricky draw for Emma Raducanu. She got the veteran in Alexandra Sasnovich, and in the end, it's Sasnovich 6-2-6-4 victory over the 17th seed Raducanu. You look for Raducanu, the big number that stands out, 29% win percentage on second serve points. We know that is never going to get the job done, but in particular, it was interesting to see her handle the conditions, the slow hard court, definitely, you know, a pace or two slower, uh, I suppose a a tier or two slower, um, what's the word I'm looking at? Deviation, there it is, a standard deviation or two slower than the ones at the U.S. Open, and you know, we haven't seen Raducanu at the WTA level play on clay yet at all. I don't want to say this is a preview of that, but it certainly was interesting to note uh, your thoughts on the performance. Obviously, Sasnovich played well, uh, but certainly this felt like a valuable data point for Raducanu. Sasnovich playing very well, and uh, she had some really good wins in Cleveland the week before the U.S. Open when, when she was looking excellent over there. She's a great ball striker. But the main thing that stood out to me was it didn't look like Radu Kanu was really going to be accepting of playing some long rallies on the slowest, the second slowest hard court in the world behind Nur Sultan, of course, <laughs> uh, at night. It, like, that's kind of the thing that mentally I think you need to accept, you need to be ready for. And she just didn't look calibrated to that mindset. The other thing on the second serve points one, which is also what stood out to me, she just wasn't putting balls into the court on in defensive positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, those rallies were ending. When Sasnovich was attacking the second serve, Raducanu was unable to dig herself out of those positions. Uh, now, I don't know that we've seen that much defense out of Emma because we, we normally don't have to. Her offense is so explosive. She does such a good job of staying on top of the baseline and and dictating, changing direction constantly, all that good stuff. But in this case, it just wasn't a very good defensive display. And there are a lot of reasons, mental, physical, that we could get into it. But ultimately, it shouldn't really shock anyone um, and I don't know that it did, you know, it, was, it became one of those things on Twitter where it was like everyone talking like 
for everyone surprised at this result, yeah, I'll have you know. Uh, and it's I'm like, so look, su- who's surprised? Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm also so glad you went there because I've been keeping count, of course, and there have been more tweets saying, man, I hope people don't criticize Radicanu after this than there have been actual criticisms of Radicanu after this result. It's definitely straw man city after a result like this. And to your point, I mean, Sasanovich has been solid this year. 23-19 and 19 overall in 2021, as you mentioned, quarterfinal for her in Cleveland. She's made, I believe, uh, three different quarterfinals here at the WTA level this season. You know, good win for her in round number one over Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano, another talented teenager in the WTA Top 100. And just physically, you know, Sasnovich, 27 years old, she was ready for the battle. And you look for Alexandra Sasnovich, why I think this was so valuable uh, for uh, Radicanu today— you know, she's breaking serve this season 42.7% of the time. That number would rank ninth amongst top 50 players. And she hasn't played the best of the best week in, week out like some of these top 50 players have, but she's played a WTA-level schedule, and she's still having that degree of success. And I do think it's just worth remembering, you know, how many different people Radicanu avoided in her run to the U.S. Open. And it's not to say she doesn't deserve all of the credit in the world, right? Wins over Cerebez Tormo and Rogers and Bencic and Sakari and Fernandez, who are all playing exceptional throughout their time in New York. But it's interesting to see her play another gritty returner like that, someone who's going to put in a ton of extra balls and just make you work. And I think that's the question for Radicanu is, again, the physicality of the WTA, week in, week out, getting ready for that grind. That's why, and this is where it's not a straw man argument, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, there are two lines of thinking. And I think these were legitimate points made, and I know David Kane was one of the people I saw making them. Should Radakanu play more this year, or should she shut it down and get prepared for 2022? Now, I think the more common take is shut it down. You know, you had your big result. Rankings-wise, you're going to be fine. Just get yourself mentally, physically prepared for a season-long grind. I could not disagree more. If you're 18 years old, you learn through experience. And I just think for Radakandu, the same way you have a rookie QB start week one, go play matches. She seems solid enough mentally and with her confidence that she can take a lump. She can take a loss and gain value from that. I just could not disagree more that she should shut it down for the year. When the mic's hot, you use it. And I think for Radakanu, strike while you're hot. Yeah, go play. I'm, yeah. I'm with you. And especially because her 2021 started pretty late. It yeah. seemed like it kind of started around Wimbledon time when she finished up school and uh, didn't have any other obligations. She just, she just took a month off. And... I mean, yeah, I think she probably wants to play. I don't know that, you know, a lot is made, and rightly so, of her celebrity now mm-hmm. and what it's like for her when she's home in the UK and she's sitting around. And, yeah, there's a lot coming at her. It's probably better that she's in Lynn's playing. Yes. Like, that's probably going to be, first of all, nice for her. It's going to bring her more of a sense of normalcy. I'm sure she likes the other stuff as well. But – you need that balance. And for her to be on the road, it's probably going to be nice for her. I mean, this is what she's out here to do. And you're right. She needs to gain that experience. The things that probably aren't discussed a lot that takes some getting used to about touring. I mean, traveling for anyone is a thing. It's something that you need to get good at. Um, managing practice schedules at different events, figuring out how these things uh, play out differently, recovering after matches like 
These are all things that she is so green and inexperienced in at this level. And uh, she also needs to look, I think the more pressing issue is she needs to find uh, someone on her team. But but right now, scheduling wise, yeah, go play. Yeah, no, I I agree with everything you said. Of course, it would help to have a coach to help you with all of those things. She recently separated with her longtime coach. But of course, she's preparing for her pro career now. And it's about finding the people you trust, surround yourself with. And, you know, again, the glass half full take after winning the U.S. Open, it's going to piss Emma Raducanu off that she lost this first round match. Give her that extra fuel, the fire to just, again, get after it this offseason because right away she was reminded, yeah, you know, New York was two weeks ago, but you can lose. Yeah, absolutely. And she said she, she's saying all the right things as she yeah. always has. Like, I've never seen a press conference where it's not like, can you say anything better than what you're saying right now does anyone lose the press conference any day any like any time anymore i was you know doing san diego casper rude it's just like exceptional answer after answer cam nori just knew exactly what to say the only one who you're gonna be surprised by is honestly dan evans where you're just like he might just be like "Ah, i'm not answering you today or he'll just give you (laughs) something completely off topic you know but you know you'll ask him like well i saw this and be like no i just you know, my forehand was better than his today. And you're just like, oh, okay, that's that's your answer, Dan. Cool. Like, he's the only one who you just, you're never exactly yeah. sure. Otherwise, it's often so scripted. But you're right. She's on script. Like, she is saying all of the things you want to hear yeah. uh, from a young player. She said, I have to cut myself some slack. I'm 18 here. I'm going to lose. And, yeah, that expectation is is going to be important to manage because she is going to lose. Like it's exactly. just that again, that's also part of it. If she goes to and play, you know, plays a bunch of two fifties over the course of the next month and loses a lot. Well, guess what? That's good experience too. Mm-hmm. It's not just winning. Now, mm-hmm. you know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to damage confidence, but you know, that that's a, that's a separate issue. I also support her splitting with Andrew Richardson. And I think that is the right call. I don't know him, and he's probably a great coach. And if he had a hand in developing her technique as a youngster, he must be a great coach because her <laughs> technique is awesome. But when she said, I need someone with tour-level experience, mm-hmm. I agree with her. Mm-hmm. She's right. I, you know, Andrew Richardson has not coached a WTA star and has not been a WTA or an ATP star. He's a dude. But uh, a guy like uh, Carlos Martinez, who is now rumored to be the front runner, mm-hmm. coached Lee Na, coached yeah. Justine Ennin. Uh, Lee Na and, and Radu Kanu, there's really n- probably that's the best example of someone who blew up as quick as she is right now. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. So I, I think she's doing the right thing there. How many calls over under four and a half on her phone per day from Patrick Mortelou? Is it like, <laughs> is it five? Is it seven? Like, I feel like it's like a recruit where it's like, hey, I'm just checking in. Just want to make sure you're doing okay. Haven't committed anywhere else. Like, just just want to make sure. Like, you, you're still coming on your official visit? Okay, cool, right. cool, cool. And um, then, then she's probably like, no, sorry, Patrick. Not going to happen. Patrick's next text. Can I sit in your box? Yeah. <laughs> Well, what if instead I'm just – it's a consultant role. It's just me, you know, again, just the brand. I just want the brand associated. But no, it's – I agree with everything you said. It's about finding the voices you trust to guide you uh, down this path. And as you mentioned, you can certainly do worse than a former coach of Lena and Justine Ennin. But of course, again, credit to Sasevich who just kept 
putting pressure on Raducanu, who tracked down every first strike, who got the balls into the outer thirds, kept Raducanu from just easily dictating. And, you know, after Raducanu, because it was a tricky early second set, and Raducanu, I think, held for three all in a long service game. And it just felt like, okay, maybe now she's making her push. And Sastovich was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to win this match in straights. Yeah, it was... um... It was like a very professional and and veteran performance, as she is. And I think another thing was, uh, yeah, the the biggest contrast was Sasnovich was willing behind her second serve, which is the worst part of her game, really, is the Sasnovich second serve. And she'd be ranked higher if her serve was better. Mm -hmm. But first of all, Raducanu was not timing the return very well on her backhand side. Mm -hmm. And when she was... There was a lot of neutralization happening on the Sasnovich side of the net. And there wasn't that same neutralization happening on the Raducanu side of the net on her second serve. Mm-hmm. No, it's, again, it's it's really, it was it was just a veteran performance, as you mentioned. She just beat her down in, every, you know, again, she withstood that first blow, which it's easier to do on these courts, but she did it every time and just kept, Rad, you know, forced Raducanu to play that extra shot every single time. It was, it was a great performance from Sasnovich, who needed it, by the way. You look for Sasnovich, who was number 100 coming into this event. She's back up to number 91, 27 years old. You just don't want to fall out of the top 100. You want to be yep. able to play those tour-level events. She will continue to do so in 2022. Uh, but again, for Radicanu, why you play out, there's a hard stop at the end of this season. Even if she loses a couple more matches here this year, you will have a month, a month and a half to have a big training block before everyone heads to Australia. So again, it's one loss. No one's hitting the panic button. Uh, People are telling people not to hit the panic button, but I don't think anyone's hitting the panic button. So uh, of course, we can move on now from Radakanu. But I want to stick with the youngster theme. When he plays, we're watching here at Crack Rackets. It's my favorite watch in all of tennis right now. Jensen Brooksby, 7-6-6-4 win in his first match here at Indian Wells. I mean... I think we've lost sight of it just because perhaps it's been said so many times. But what Jensen Brooksby is doing this year, absolutely nuts. And you just look at the record he's put together here in 2021. And obviously, he's up to number 76 entering the week. But Gil, 42-10 and 10 here this year. 42-10 and 10 in 81% win percentage. You want to look at just his tour-level success. That's fine. He's 15-6 and six on the year, winning 71% of his matches, you know, Final for him in Newport. Semi, uh, excuse me, that throws in a three and one result. So uh, the ITF. Excuse me, he's twelve and five this year in ATP level matches. Final in Newport. Semifinals in Washington. Round of sixteen at the U.S. Open. I mean, again, in a year of Karatsev, in a year of Nori, in a year of so many different guys, it's a it's a race to the finish to be named the ATP's most improved player. Tell me why it's not Jensen Brooksby. The reason it wouldn't be Jensen Brooksby is because there's not really like a full body of work sure. on the tour level. Uh, so I think if we want to get into names, there are some players who have kind of done it over a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. But he's the man of the summer. I mean, there's no doubt about that. From from Newport on, it was like, whoa. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a storm. I mean, and then what he did in, in Washington was probably even more impressive and most importantly, he was the last man standing at the U.S. Open. And one of the major storylines coming in, one that 
you and I were definitely looking forward to, to seeing how it would play out was uh, Seb Korda, Brandon Nakashima, Jensen Brooksby, who's going to be the last guy standing at the open. And it was Brooksby. I mean, Korda got food poisoning. That was a shame. But it was uh, it was Brooksby. And boy, did he leave everything on the court and left a hip injury on the court really at the end. Um, now, that's not that's my main concern with him long term is I just want to see him healthy. And as long as he can stay healthy with his physical brand of tennis, I have very little concerns about him. I tweeted about his serve yesterday. Um, the stats don't fully back me up, so I want to know what what you think of that. Um, but I mean, I I'm such a big fan and a big believer in what he does on the court. I disagree with your disagreeing of yourself. The stats do back up your point. Like, don't back down from. I, you're right. You look for okay. Jensen Brooksby. It's a death by high percentage sort of thing. He well, makes... no, no. But can I clarify? Yeah, please. So, so my thing, my thing on Twitter for for anyone who didn't see, I was like. People need to stop fixating on how fast Brooksby's service because it's not that big a liability because it is because he hits the spots basically and people don't punish it. It also stays kind of low. So after that, that was just eye test. I dug in a little bit and yes, his first serve points one percentage is on par with the guy like Roberto Bautista, Goot and Dan Evans. And in that respect, it's like, oh, you see, it's not that bad. Like those guys can serve. Right? It's not a strength, but they can serve. Then you realize, well, he, he has no clay results baked into that number. And if you really factor it in, if, if you factor surfaces in and you adjust it to hard court, where is he? Yeah, he's in the Diego Schwartzman, Fabio Fanini range and weight class in terms of first serve points one. But my, my sense is that the serve is not necessarily going to hold him back as much as people might want to suggest that it is. I would agree with you. I think the number that proves that is the fact that his hold percentage has remained constant and it's actually increased as he's gone from the challenger level to the ATP level. I also think you have him a tier short. Like you look at the numbers and I I refuse to accept this super you know superimposing a downturn in his metrics if he plays clay court tennis and just it's going to drop him by two or three percent i get the logic behind it but until i see it like there are plenty of players and like a cam nori for instance who serve remains the same on a clay court because he's a spot server and i know he's a lefty but i think that's the best comp for brooksby moving forward as a server it's just a guy who's going to rigorously hit his spots and just create space for himself with that serve because that's what Brooksby's trying to do, create space, create the opportunity to get into his baseline patterns. You look at his numbers right now, he's held serve 80.7% of the time, I believe, here this season. Yeah, held serve 80.7% of the time. That number is directly in between Yannick Sinner. uh, Where is it? Let's see here. 80.7%. Sorry, I just don't want to get this incorrect. Oh, that's why, because I was on the wrong tab. 80.7% is in between Sinner and Correa. Busta right now ranks about 28th amongst top yep. 50 players a still 20 years old so he can still you know the pace will come inevitably everyone will gain a mile per hour or two or five over the course of their career as they turn 20 to 25 b he's hitting his spots so effectively right now and the rest of his game is so well-rounded 
That's what the serve is for him. It's not the finishing shot. It's the setup shot. And so I do think the numbers back it up. The fact that his hold percentage has jumped going from the challengers to the ATP level, the fact that he's holding serve at a top 30 rate already, despite the fact that there's glaring, I don't want to say glaring weaknesses, but there's glaring room for improvement on that stroke. I, I would agree with your assessment. It's a spot server, and there's there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Okay, yeah. And, I mean, that's that's uh, that. thank you for the reassurance. Yeah. Um, and well, I also I w- just think I the numbers back on. it up. Because, like, would anyone say – people would say Sinner's serve is where he needs to improve, but I don't yes. think they would describe it as a weakness the way they do with Brooksby. I don't right. know – I agree with you. I don't know why – when the numbers say it's not a weakness – the eye test says it's effective despite not being aesthetically pleasing. Like, right. I think you're you're impo- sorry. You're imposing looks for effectiveness, and that's just not the case. Sure, I agree. And and again, it's it's radar gone obsessiveness. It's yes. it's looking at the speed. People were literally one thing I felt like there was on Twitter during the Djokovic match is why isn't Novak clobbering all of his returns? Like, why isn't he bullying this serve? Maybe the serve's not that bad. Maybe that's why. And I I just think it's the, it's the radar gun obsession with Brooksby. It's like he, you know, he's hitting lines with the serve. I mean, that is good enough. Mm -hmm. You're also thinking so much. You're like, well, what if he knows exactly where I'm going? Because where, depending on where I put this return, if I try to go down the line, Brooksby's going cross court, and I got to sprint like hell there. So maybe it's just safer for me to play down the middle and give myself a second. Like I, I completely agree with you. It's clearly having effect. And so again, when you look at Brooksby now with this result, he's I believe number fifty six entering the week for Jensen Brooksby now with the win. It's just going to constantly be new career highs for him. But in the live rankings, he's up to number seventy. Excuse me, that's a new career high. You look for Brooksby in the points race here this season. He's all the way up. I want to say number forty two, so top fifty number. I mean, all right. I did ask you. I put together a list. I have tiers of lists. I have different definitions of lists. We're going to do this quickly because I know you got to go soon, and I want to run through some of the other results, talk quickly about what we're going to see on Saturday. But the definition of most improved, obviously, from an eye test perspective, did your serve get better? Did your forehand, backhand get better? Is there a clear jump in your results? Did you make a big jump in the rankings? Are you doing something you had never done before? But I also think when you're looking for the award of most improved player, it's the caliber of jump. To go from outside the top 100 to in the top 100, that's the most valuable jump to make in tennis, but it's not the most significant jump. Obviously, you go from outside the top 30 to top 10, top 5 winning a Grand Slam, you're the winner. But even going from top 10 to Grand Slam champion, going from top 50 to seated at the slams, going from top 50 to competing for a year-end championships. There are degrees of jumpage that I think have to factor into this award. And so I've got tears for you because that's what I do best here at Crack Rackets. And I know, you know, I gave you less than 12 hours to make a list. So I'm going to let you, that why I called you Gil Leach Gross at the start. I'm going to let you leech off my list as we discussed. I think there's, Again, different tiers of players based on their jump. So you start with a guy like Cam Norrie, who 40-plus wins here this season, has made nine different quarterfinals, six different semifinals, I think five different finals, if not five, four different finals. He won his first title. He's in the hunt. Top 15 for a points race. That's one caliber. To go from outside the top 50 to in contention for the points race, he's a guy on the short list. 
I think Casper Ruud, who made, I would say, one degree less of jump. He went from a guy who was around the top 30. It was an age thing as well, but he proved it. Five ATP titles, most on the season. Didn't make a fourth week at a Grand Slam, but has dominated the 250s and, you know, is going to make the year-end finals. I think there's that caliber of player as well. In terms of the dramatic, in terms of the came from nowhere, that's the Karatsev section. Obviously, I think he, he's he got to be on your short list just to see him sustain a top 30 ranking after being outside the top 100. That's most improved. That And he's proven he belongs at this level. He's won an ATP title. He's made another ATP final. And yes, the semifinal is the outlier run, but he belongs in the ATP top 35 this season. Then you get, again, the young guys, Sinner, Alcaraz, Brooksby, Corda, FAA. It's really a body of, you know, these improvements were always going to come. I suppose it's the level of improvement you guard, you regard it with. I think it's a crime if Ilya Vashka's not on your list, just the jump he's made from top 100 to inside the top 50. That's a caliber of jump. And then Medvedev. Medvedev's your last guy who goes from top five to Grand Slam champion. That's an improvement. Now, one could argue his level was already there, and it was a byproduct of opportunity. But I think those are your, like, six caliber of players. Your guy who, you know, jumps into the top 15. Your young guy who proves it, uh, a prove-it season. Your flash in the pan. Your veteran who makes jumps. And then all of the youngsters. And I think you can go down the list. You know, I've got Rindernesh's and Martinez's, Giron, Sunwu Kwan's of the world. I think that's just a lesser version of what Ivashka has done. I think what Holgarune, Nakashima, Musetti have done is just a lesser version of an Alcaraz Brooksby. You know, again, the Sinego, Evans, Harris's of the world are lesser versions of Cam Nori and Aslan Karatsev. I think when you tier it like this, and then I can get to Yuri Lachetchka, you know, Tiago Tarante, but I know that's not your flavor of spice, Gil. But again, <laughs> your thoughts on that list, your thoughts on those tiers. I know I talked there for a while. God, you just named, I mean, I was hoping to get you on someone. I was hoping to be like, <laughs> well, you missed that guy. Then you just name every player who's made improvement. Well, in for the record, I, I text you and I give you less than 12 hours. I have a fluid list all year long, starting with the first match of the year, like January. I'm like, he looks good. I'm like, ooh, well, that list. Well, my I guess if I'm going to complain about about uh, your list, it would be that uh, Rindernetch was kind of like an afterthought. Now, <laughs> I'm going to give him more love than that. Didn't have any tour level victories uh, before 2021, and now he's 14 and 13 on the tour, but has absolutely torn up the challenger level with a record of 19 and eight title in Istanbul. Uh, beat Bonzi in the final there, and and uh, just has consistently made runs at that level. So I don't know, maybe a little bit more love, but him and Avashka for sure, uh, Rude for sure. Karatsev's just such an interesting case because what level has he really, I mean, I haven't broken down the numbers, but since Dubai, what level has he been at? You know, has he has he won enough matches to maintain a top 30 level? Probably not. Well, he gets uh, in on 50? the Belgrade win over Djokovic probably oh, alone, that's true. right? That, but that's like that's the title run. You're right that's because the that's that's the outlier. It's like that. I would like to see him make a round of 32 here at Indian Wells, a round of 32 in Paris as well. Like that's sort of proving you belong, right? It, right, but I guess I I set the wrong marker. I said Dubai. I really yeah, should have said Belgrade since Belgrade. Since gotcha. Belgrade, yeah, it's yeah, been yeah. very difficult for him. Yes, and I mean I have questions about. 
the the clothing sponsorship and his agent <laughs> and if he put unnecessary pressure on himself but he just doesn't look quite as confident um as as he did at the beginning of the year and i i think his forehand is missing the mark on a far more regular basis now um and that's, that's just slow hardcore i love the surface for him yeah yeah i just think he's gonna have time to hit his spots i like that i i just hope that i think it's I think it's mostly mental right now. And the the weirdest, the strangest thing about Karatsev is obviously it, it went from a story of most improved player, most improved ever, right? Like it was almost like you should rename this discussion to the Aslan Karatsev discussion. <laughs> exactly. And that, that steam has kind of gone now because it happened at the beginning of the year. I'm wondering how people are going to feel about a season at the end of the year, because right now it just feels like there's not much momentum there, especially when it comes to just positive momentum and narrative. Mm-hmm. No, it's fair. So give me your short list. Then. And for the record, it's not that I don't value what Rindernesh did. I also just think, A, other guys have done what he's done this season. Marco Girone, who I think yep. it's as much a byproduct of being healthy as anything else, but like he's proven he belongs. Botik Vandesen sculpt. He's proven he belongs, qualifies at all of the slams and just – or all but one and, you know, his hat makes a quarterfinal. Obviously, Pedro Martinez, my guy, who continues to just prove he belongs at the level. I just think they have done a lesser version of what Ivashka has done where it's just like, no, 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 I'm going to rip off four consecutive quarterfinals, a title as well. It's just like it's all that same brand, same character, quality of player. I do think yes. shortlist – it's got okay. – and by the way – Alcaraz, like he's a youngster, but it, I, that's the thing is, it's kind of like for the young Sinner? guys, it's, it's kind of no, made a big jump, right? Exactly. But it's, I don't know if those guys should should be in this kind of conversation. Which is why they're all number four for me. I have them clustered. It's like the jumps all of these young guys made: Brooksby, Corda at the start of the season two, and those five yep. in particular. And FAA three straight quarterfinals at the majors. That's or three this season. Excuse me. That's that's a really impressive year. But yes. I think it comes down to Nori, Rude, Karatsev. Who you got? And in, in those three, give me your top three order. The top three between those guys? Because I think those are the three. I agree. I agree. I would um, I would put Root at number one because of the trophies. Yeah. Uh, then I would put... Then I would put Karatsev and then Nori. But, I mean, I'm, I'm just... And, and by the way, my thought process there was, whose year would I rather have? Mm-hmm. And I, I think I'd rather make the, the semifinal at a major. I think... But at the end of the day, uh, that's not clear cut to me. Yeah, and Nori lost to Rafa twice at the majors this year. I want to say Australia and France. Maybe it was just France. Yeah, but, like, but that's that's no consolation. Yeah, he but, but I'm saying for Nori that I think it's I think I'd rather take the Nori year. Like I have Nori one right now because I think I saw this coming for Rude, and then it was more expected than this sort of jump for Nori. That's what I give Nori the edge for. I agree. With at least that. Casper had flashed parts of this before. Uh, but he gets the slight bump for me. Uh, now, again, I know you got a roll, so we're rapid firing here down the home stretch. I'm going to keep you till 1246, no later, I promise, and which is already overtime. Andy Murray, straight set victory over Adrian Manorino. Where are you on the Murray comeback? Uh, I love it. I think right now it's about confidence. He needs to have more belief when he goes against the top guns. But right now, uh, athletically, he's looking great, which is awesome to see. Hitting the backhand out of the corner. Also, hair adjustments, real or fake? <laughs> I think I think he got some work done. Plugs? 
Something. Whatever it is, send me the card, please. Business card. Um, All right. Women's upsets here. Rapid fire. The seeds we lost on the day. Rabakina, two and six to Putin Saver. We talked about that a little bit. Mertens, three set loss, two and a half hours to Jasmine Paolini, who won a title recently. Jill Teichman, knocked out by an always dangerous arena, Camilla Begue, seven, five, six, one. Any of those shock you in particular? No, not really. Paolini? Mm Mm-hmm. Look out. I mean, she, she she's play. on. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, she's got a fun game because she's small in stature. The ball explodes off her racket, especially her forehand. She does need the time. So she's one of those Indian Wells players where, where you're going to like her chances here. Mm-hmm. No, brutal for Lisa Mertens, who under normal circumstances, and this is from Tumani Carrio, I think he tweeted this out yesterday, would have cracked the top 10, uh, just unfortunately, again, with rankings, protections, and everything. She was your wins leader last year. She's still like 11th in the race to Guadalajara right now in the mix, but just, again, that's that's a tough result for Elisa Mertens. I've had the take. I, now, I said I wasn't going to say it, but now I've said it on a couple podcasts that Von Drusova is going to make a great Mertens someday. And I say that lovingly, by the way. That's not meant to be rude. But She's going like, to what? Von Drusova is going to make a great Elisa Mertens someday. Oh, like, okay. They're just like, that's the that's, – and by the way, that's a compliment. Wins leader, 2020. Um, but I just like – I could see that. They're just both always in the mix. There's a lot to like, but I don't know what you love about either of their games. That's just a – it's a tough loss for Mertens. But again, rapid fire through the other women's results we saw on the day. Fernandez, return. She gets a win. Good win for Pagula. Straight sets over Stevens. Kvitova, uh, Pavlichenkova, Ostapenko, Azarenka, all earning victories. Fidelina, Halep, Sviantek, uh, Kirsteish, uh, and uh, all advancing in terms of seeds on the day. Uh, you also got a nice win from Shelby Rogers, who gets that lucky loser over Kutsova. Anyone stand out to you in particular? Um, let's see. I mean, I think... I Asta think Panko. the the, the Pagula what. the Pagula win on scoreline yeah. really impressive looks awesome it's her last tournament of the year and I like that I think there's gonna be a big mental push from her at this event and she is someone who's very much so uh, willing to grind um, and and work really hard on on a slow hard court uh, I liked your tweet about Ostapenko she's gonna hit through any court in the world. Um, and she has a very dominant win over Shea Suwei, who that's not necessarily true about. Um, and and Iga Sviantek <laughs> destroys Petra Martic. Iga Sviantek destroys players all the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, she's she's a, a bagel and breadstick specialist, and, and we saw it on display <laughs> again yesterday. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, again, stop me if you've heard this before. Normally it's interesting, but on a slow, hard court, Kvitova, Ostapenko, Shelby freaking Rogers. That kicks her forehand combo. There's a lot to like about the big hitters here. Flipping gears, you look at the men's side. Again, rapid firing through. Uh, you know, uh, I think Escobedo uh, was a winner on a day. Nishioka, Rusevori, Anderson, Struve, Tabilo, uh, Ramos, Vanolas, Gomez, Milman, Nakashima, Martinez, Vukic, Mager, Eubanks as well, earning victories on the day. All round of 128 action, round of 64 kicking off on Saturday. Anyone jump out to you in particular? Surprise performances? Eubanks coming from qualifying. Always have an eye on him. Exciting game. I love the way uh, – I love his brand of tennis and hope that he can uh, get some get some winning going. Uh, Pedro Martinez, you and I both love, and I think – he plays Tsitsipas, I want to say. Mm-hmm. That's a I U.S. So, Open yes. rematch. That was a good match, but that's a tough draw 
uh, for Martinez, but but we we both think highly of him. He's certainly, I think, a top 75 level guy. Mm-hmm. No, again, really fun day of results, and that gets us to Saturday. My shortlist, Georgia Nismova, Bedosa Yastremska, Sakari Golubic. Those are probably my three favorite women's matches. Which of those three stands out most to you? Uh, the Anisimova Georgie match. Yeah, that's fun. That's that's literally pick 'em. It's like who knows what's going to happen. All right, on the men's side, Cressy Schwartzman, I've already praised, but Medvedev, Mackey, Evans, Nishikori, Korda Tiafo. What you got? Korda Tiafo. I mean that that one is. Yeah. I love. That's almost that's a little bit of a fire versus ice contrast and a creativity versus machine contrast with Corda and, and Tiafo. Uh, I love that. I, I can't wait to watch that one play out. Mm-hmm. No, again, should be a very fun Saturday of tennis. But with that in mind, you're not on the Tennis Channel call. Does that mean we're going to get a bunch of Monday match analysis? Yes. Analyses yes. A lot of YouTube. Week? What are we a looking at? Yeah. A lot of YouTube? Yes. Jensen so- Brooksby video out later. Radu Kanu video up right now live. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, lots of lots of stuff going up. And, of course, at Gil underscore gross, I want to say. Right. Still on Twitter. Monday Match Analysis, 3 a tennis show. My friend, I apologize for keeping you over time. Always a pleasure getting to chat. Pleasure as always, Grosky. Talk to you soon. Yep, take care, my friend. Bye. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Monday Match Analysis and 3, a tennis show host, Gil Gross. A thank you to him, as always, for taking the time to chat. You can follow his work on Twitter, YouTube, wherever you listen to your podcasts as well. Of course, as I mentioned at the top, we'll be doing these podcasts each and every day, including weekends throughout the 2021 Indian Wells. We have picks for you every day on our Great Shot podcast feed as well. Match of the Day segments for our Patreon family. You can find all of that content on our website crackrackets.com of course like rate subscribe review to this show the great shot podcast correct interviews podcast and our youtube channel if you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook we are at crack rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shot pod a shout out as always to our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff who yes you guessed it have a of an editing job to do a shout out as always to our friends over at tennis point remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 for all of your equipment needs with that said for my fantastic guest gail gross super producers fliegner and westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we will talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone 